You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. What can effectively alleviate pain, anxiety, agitation, fear, and anger without medication? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. DeForia Lane, Director of Music Therapy at University Hospitals of Cleveland, Ireland Cancer Center, and Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital. Dr. Lane, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you very much. What is music therapy? Our clinical definition is the use of music to accomplish therapeutic aims, and that can be the restoration, the maintenance, and improvement of a mental or physical condition. We find a shorter definition for me is the use of music to positively influence behavior and health. It is a 70-year-old formalized profession, but I believe it started way back in antiquity, uh, long before we put a formal name to it. So it, it has the ability to encompass all ages, ethnicities, cultures, because music is a part of, of the fabric of who we are. Is it a healthcare profession? Indeed it is. One of the observers of music and its ability to affect people have been physicians. In fact, in the VA hospitals in right after World War II when soldiers were returning home from the war and being admitted to some of the Veterans Administration hospitals, doctors noticed that when music was a daily part of the protocol for those soldiers, they were less combative, more compliant, and they wondered if it could be formally researched to see if it was just anecdotal or was there really something to it. So as a result of the birth of of music therapy coming from the the mind, the observation of physicians, we have then given rise to this profession called music therapy. There are nearly 7,000 of us trained with uh, degrees in music therapy. We study the physiology of the body itself, but also acoustics and how our brain and body process sound. Uh, In addition, we have to study psychology and the use of music to accomplish non-music objectives. And we have to learn to at least play two instruments well. We have to learn to compose, to sight read, to sing, to analyze music. So we look at a balance of the sciences and the art of music and combine them to address everything from pain management to depression. It has been the love of my life, I must say that. What led you to music therapy? Unfortunately, it was not the way I would have liked to have entered into the profession. Uh, I was diagnosed with cancer at a, a fairly young age, and initially when I had finished a bachelor's degree in, in vocal performance, I wanted to continue for a master's, and in the catalog, it listed Introduction to Music Therapy. And I thought, what a wonderful way to combine my love for music and my desire to nurture people because of what music meant to me and what I had seen it do in the lives of other people. It can move you. It can make you relax. It can change your mood and attitude. It's a motivator. It's inspiration personified at times. So it has so many different uses. So that's what led me, just the curiosity of how that could be done. And then the the whole idea of 
who do you use it with? Where would I like to work? And my first opportunity was with children with severe, profound mental retardation. The outcomes of using music with them was, was quite significant, I thought. We used it for communication, for learning daily living skills, for the socialization and learning how to share, follow directions, to educate other people. In other words, here's a, a choir of of children with mental retardation performing in a school of normally developing children. And we are using sign language and the familiar tunes that the other children who are listening are familiar with, but they are curious about these children that look and act differently than they. So it became a wonderful way of getting people to look at each other with the catalyst of music being the, the driving force. So after six years of working with those children, I was diagnosed with cancer and came to this hospital and ended up being not only treated for my cancer, but being allowed to share my profession with them. They felt that it was something all patients could use, and they gave me the opportunity to do that. And Susan, that was 23 and a half years ago, and my dream is still being lived to this day. Did you use music therapy when you were ill? I certainly did. I used it in two ways. I was afraid of laboring or burdening people with with my feelings about what was going on. I didn't want to be a sad Sally, if you will. And so instead of doing a lot of talking about it, I composed songs that reflected my thoughts and feelings. And people were more open to listening to music than than not. So that was one way. And my head at night turned it, found it very hard to turn off, turn off thoughts about, will this come back? Will I die with this? Will my husband look at me the same? Will I be alive to raise my children? Will my mother and father deal with this in a way that won't affect the quality of their lives? I mean, what if I have a little girl? I mean, I mean, just all kinds of things at night. Who's going to direct the choir at church if I die? Who's going to take over my job? I mean, my head would not turn off. So I used music that was between 60 and 80 beats per minute, no lyrics, and I used imagery to help me focus on something very calming and use the music to help facilitate that because it helps me relax, it helps my musculature just uh, assume this very calm stance, and before I knew it, I would fall asleep. Dr. Lane, how do you determine what interventions to use? First of all, we determine a goal for the patient or client that we see. So we assess them. If I'm working with a child who is autistic, rocks back and forth, spins everything that they can get their hands on, flaps a lot of their, uh, and jumps up and down, can't sit. Well, what's most important? If I can't get the child's attention and have them in front of me for a few minutes, we can't accomplish very much. So noticing those behaviors, one of the central things I'd want to work on is having the child sit for at least a minute to two in order to work on any specific goal. Let's say the child uh, does not speak and the mother and teacher really believe that is possible. They've been looked at physiologically and nothing's wrong with the vocal mechanism, so that's the goal they would like, just to make a sound and to use it in a functional way. The sound could be, um, and use pair it with um, 
sign language. So the goal then would be to get the child to acknowledge they want something by either nodding their head yes, by saying the word, uh, or giving the, an approximation, yes, something like that. So if that's the goal, how do I use music to accomplish that? Several things I could find, I could place a variety of instruments in front of the child and see which one interests them most by either pointing, giving them to them, and letting um, me observe what they do. I take away everything except the one that they really enjoy. I put it in my lap, and I look at the child and say, would you like to play this? If the child reaches for it, I will say, use your words, and that can continue until the child understands. We find that with children who are autistic or have neurologic deficits, that music and vibration can be very stimulating for them. So determining the goal according to what the need of the the child or adult might be is where we begin. How do you judge the success of music therapy for a patient who can't speak, communicate, or maybe even move? There are many ways to determine if the session has been successful. Number one, if I see that the child at the utmost would sit for 20 seconds, and then by the time we finish the session, they are seated for at least one full minute. I can hold their attention that long, engaging them in either playing something, uh, listening to something, holding both hands on top of a uh, of an instrument. And especially if they're tactfully defensive, that would be very difficult to do. So it can be a matter of measuring the amount of time spent in doing something. Out of five times that I'm offering a child to do something, do they do it twice, three times, not at all? Uh, so we can count the number. With a, an adult, let's say in a, a hospital setting where I'm working now, I look at if the person is using as much medication. I also can look at their vital signs. Music used appropriately has the ability to lower blood pressure, heart rate, respiration rate. Uh, it can change your galvanic skin response. I can take a small, your, your blood flow within your hands. We know you're more relaxed when there is increased blood flow. We have something called a pulse oximeter, which measures the amount of oxygen. Um, and it's just a, like a clip you can put on your finger. That can increase. Sometimes if a person doesn't talk, I can certainly look at the monitors and look at those things. But many of the times, patients will look different. They're for example, um, your neck muscles and your forehead all show signs of stress or tension with, with this tightening or wrinkled. Well, that will relax if we're trying to do a relaxation exercise. A person who hasn't been talking at all, not sharing what they're thinking or feeling, and that's really become a problem, we will try to write a song that reflects those thoughts and feelings. Did the person share something? Did they initiate? So it can both be physiological. We can use a more formal state trait um, exam uh, that they check so many boxes to tell you whether or not it is something that uh, has made any psychological change. Pain scale, Likert scale, 1 to 10. At the beginning of the session, circle the number that you feel best reflects your anxiety and then do it again at the end. And, and probably one of the most intriguing to me was a study I did with um, 40 patients, 20 of whom 
uh, received music therapy, 20 of whom did not. It was a randomized uh, study. And I took a sample of their saliva because in it is something called salivary immunoglobulin A. It's an antibody. Its role is to coat your food as you chew in order to deter bacteria from entering your digestive tract. Now, when you're healthy, you have a high content of IgA. When you're not healthy, you don't. And most often, you have none at all. So you're more liable to infection and so forth. So those patients who had music therapy experienced a significant increase in IgA, while those patients in the control group did not. So we can look at and measure effectively the outcomes of whether music makes a difference or not. Dr. Lane, thank you for joining us today. You're quite welcome. It's been my pleasure. I'm Susan Dolan, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.